We're beginning a series in Leviticus, and we're going to start at the very heart of Leviticus. We're going to start at Leviticus chapter 17, verses 10 through 12. That's going to be the heart of the entire book. And then, Lord willing, over the coming months, we'll back out and actually move through the book. But I want to start right there at the very heart of the book. Because I acknowledge that I have an uphill battle to convince you that the next few months of your life are going to be nourished by going through the book of Leviticus. (laughs) Because maybe some of you have read it before, and you're skeptical. But we're going to start at the heart. In Leviticus chapter 17, verses 10 through 12, our New Testament complementary passage is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 29. And in honor of God's word, please stand. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, the things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. As far as the reading of God's word, please turn to Leviticus chapter 17, beginning in verse 10 and continuing in the reading of God's word. If anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you. Eat blood. Thus far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, as we have read, we come to the hearing of your word, and we pray that you would speak by that word in your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. It 
So every person who has ever claimed to be a follower of God has in some way responded to that desire to be holy. Holiness is a huge movement within the church. What does holiness look like? How do you and I live as holy people? And each one of us have convictions. We have convictions regarding how best we can bring every square inch of our life under the dominion of God. And to the best of our ability, we try to be faithful and we work hard and we try to be repentant sinners but always trying to be intentional and conscientious. And then we catch ourselves bad-talking somebody else. We catch ourselves, hopefully, not verbally, but certainly mentally, being critical of someone else? How often does that come into the closest and most intimate relationships? The, the, the separation, the suspicion, the taking something that could be innocuous and taking it the wrong way. And one of, one of the Puritans says, said, <laughs> oh, what a tremendous contest it would be if one labored to give no offense, while the other labored to take none. Does our holiness often produce that? Does our pursuit of holiness often produce that gentleness and patience and love and tenderness? Or does it often produce things in us? Do we often see in ourselves a tendency to look down, to criticize, to point out the flaw, (laughs) to, to belittle and call it a joke? Do we see in ourselves this tendency to make our Christian pilgrimage one that can really be hurtful to others. That's what the book of Leviticus focuses on. That's what the book of Leviticus is about. And I want to look just real quickly at two things this morning. This is an introductory sermon. So two things. One is the setting of the book. And the second is the structure of the book. Now, if you know anything, you know that introductory sermons are supposed to be super dry and technical and boring, and I'm supposed to impress you with all the resources that I've studied and all the positions that I hold. That was all of it, right there. Amen, done, move on. Leviticus has a setting within the Pentateuch and the story arc of the Pentateuch that is intentional. It's set where it is for a reason, because the story of humanity begins in a garden. It begins with Adam and Eve in perfect fellowship with God. It 
continues with that fellowship broken, sin brought into the world, the poisoned relationships with one another and and with the creation itself that flow out of that broken relationship with God, but then also the way back. The way back home where he calls to himself a man, a land of Ur, and says, come and follow me. And through that man gives him a promise and gives him a people. And and we see that story arc continue throughout the rest of Genesis with his people now going down into Egypt. And then Exodus continues that story arc. It begins with 400 years later. The people are in Egypt and they are under oppression. And God delivers them out of Egypt. And he, he, he calls them to himself and he brings them to Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is the place where he has this seven-part covenant with them. It begins in Exodus chapter 18. And it continues on. We've looked at four... Hold up the right number of fingers. We've looked at four of those seven sections through the book of Exodus. There are three sections remaining here in Leviticus. Three of those sections that make this perfect seven-section unit that is the Sinai Covenant. It begins this storyline with marriage vows. Exodus chapter 18, I've brought you to myself on wings of eagles, that lover's language. And then Exodus chapter 20 continues with, and this is what my holiness, my face looks like. This is who I am. I want you to be like me. And the people commit that they will. And we continue with, what does that fellowship look like? What What does walking with God look like? How to love one another. How to worship God. The, the tabernacle itself is, is a renewal of Eden. The gold. The beautiful, holy place. The place where there is the place of mercy. The place where there is the light of the candlestick shining upon the bread that represents the twelve loaves of bread, each of God's people. And the fellowship and the comfort and the protection that they have. What then should that produce in your life? What does walking with God in Eden look like? What does being a follower of Jesus Christ look like? And that's where Exodus really is right here at the heart. And you know the stories. You know how badly they blew it. They blew it a lot. And they, as soon as they pick up and march away from Sinai, you know the stories. They're going to blow it. <laughs> but here it is. Here it is, what holiness is. What love is. How you and I can walk in peace and harmony with God. How do you and I avoid my own tendencies and your own tendency to personally and privately judge a fellow believer and yet claim that we desire holiness. Maybe I'm the only one that struggles with that. (laughs) If so, then this book will probably be irrelevant for you. 
But that lies at the heart of my struggle as a disciple of Christ. And that's why Leviticus is right here at the center. At the center of this book, this book which has delivered this story to us thus far, this book goes on and gives us what holiness and what walking with God looks like. And you know they blew it. I mean, you remember the Pharisees. And and I, I remember a pastor one time gave a very, very memorable saying. I've hung on to it for years. I'll offer it to you if it's useful. But it is. You need to be careful lest you criticize the Pharisees in a Pharisaic manner. You need to be careful lest you criticize the Pharisees in a Pharisaic manner. Oh God, I thank you that I am not one of these, for I am loving and accepting. Thou hast made me so far further down the road. (laughs) We do it all the time. Our best moments, we tend to drift into this perversion. And so that's what we get from its setting in the Pentateuch. Secondly, the structure of the book itself. Michael Morales, uh, I, I, I am going to say this now. Uh, just apply it, fast forward it to every one of the sermons that I'll be preaching out of this book. Uh, Michael Morales has very, very much shaped a lot of my thinking on this book, and so I'm very, very indebted to him. He gives a really good caption, a title for this book. If you want to summarize the book, it's the question, who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? How do we climb up to chapter 16? How do we get to this place where God says, peace? It's finished. Sin is forgiven. You're at peace. How do we climb that mountain? And then how do we live having climbed that mountain? That's... See, holiness is in and of itself just a tool. It's not your goal. Your goal is that through holiness, you reflect Jesus Christ. That's your goal. To be conformed unto the image of Jesus. Not to be able to criticize and point out the flaw in another. I think that's kind of at the heart of what Jesus is talking about when he says, worry about the log that's in your own eye before you worry about the speck that's in another's. (laughs) And yet how many times do I find myself again and again and again and again? And it's because we tend to say, holiness is my goal. And beloved, it's not. It is not your goal. Jesus Christ is your goal. And you become conformed to Jesus Christ through the way of holiness. 
But when you and I get our eyes off that goal, when you and I get our blinders focused in on the wrong thing, you and I turn into some ugly, ugly people. And beloved, being conformed unto the image of Christ means that whether you are three years old or four years old, or whether you are 90 years old or greater, that you and I have a model. We have one who says, follow me. (laughs) We have his word to show us. It's a lamp to our feet and a guide to our path. We, We have been given the spirit who washes us clean who unites us, who breathes life into our lungs, who breathes into us the breath of life and says, here is the way, walk you in it. And we know rationally that every single time we step out of the way, it's a disaster. We know in our heads that this way is right, And yet we pervert it. We turn it into something nasty. Why is that? The structure of Leviticus answers that question. Chapters 1 through 15, you see this path up the hill. In chapter 16, it's the very heart of the book that is at the very heart of the Pentateuch. The great day of atonement. The day when God says to the whole of his people, you are forgiven. It is enough. And then from chapter 17 on through Numbers chapter 9, when they pack up and begin their journey with all their tripping and stumbling and sinning and stupidity, it's here's what this would look like. Here's the way, my children. Here's what holiness looks like. Live it. Beloved, you and I have been given God's spirit. We have been given God's word. We upon whom the end of the ages has come. Did you hear the writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11? Compare all this stuff that these people have just experienced. The fire, the the glory of God entering into that tabernacle, the cloud by day and the fire by night. They've experienced all that stuff. And the writer to the Hebrews says, oh man, what you've got? Oh, it's so much more. You've come. You've come home. You've been reconciled. You've been united to God. You have been brought home. He lifted up his head and he cried with his dying breath. It is finished. And the way is there. But you and I can walk in it. And so that's an argument for the book of Leviticus. But beloved, when we are centered, when we are centered where the book is centered, On your sin atoned for. God declaring you to be at peace with him. 
then you and I offer a completely different vision of holiness, don't we? Who are the people that you admire? Who are the people whose examples you respect? Are they not the people that remind you the most of Jesus Christ? Aren't they, with their flaws, with their clay feet, aren't they the people that point you most clearly to Jesus Christ? That's what holiness does. That's what holiness produces in men and women and in boys and girls. It produces lives that are reflective of God's statement to you and to me. That when he put his son to death, when that great day of atonement came in all its power, its frightening visual effects, its horrifying nature, when you and I acknowledge it was my sin that put him there until it was accomplished, when you and I acknowledge our need for atonement and that we live continually in this place, when we are at our sweetest is when we show Christ. When our holiness becomes beautiful, lovely, appealing, draws people, not because we're able to point out flaws, but because Jesus says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. You and I just have to get out of the way. We just have to reflect him. 